Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture is from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter and the disciples were having a rough go of it. Once simple fishermen, the disciples had quickly become some of the most popular people in Israel. They commanded respect, they drew a crowd, they did the occasional miracle, and they spent their days and nights with the most fascinating person that they had ever met, Jesus. Anticipation began to build as Jesus did more and more wonders, and as he angered more and more powerful men. For the disciples, for their part, in their minds the scene was set. Peter and his friends were convinced that they were going to be rulers So much so that they spent a lot of their free time bickering about who was more in charge and who would sit where once they were on the throne. But then, the unthinkable. Jesus rides into Jerusalem in power, drawing a crowd, only instead of ascending to a throne, he's lifted up on a cross. Dead. Everything was over before it had even begun. And the disciples had scattered like the wind. They were afraid to be seen in public. They were afraid to be associated with Jesus. They were afraid to be seen. They were afraid. But for a few of the women, Jesus' disciples had been hiding out and laying low. Until the unthinkable again. Resurrection. Jesus first appeared to those few brave women, and then he appeared to the rest of the disciples as they hid in the upper room. He ate with them and explained his teachings and resurrection to them. All joy. All was made right. Except, now what? This person who they believed they would see seated on the throne in Jerusalem or maybe even Rome was now somehow something different. Something more than Caesar. But what did that mean for them? Peter was in a particularly hard place because when it had all happened, when Jesus was arrested and tried and hauled out to be killed, Peter was nowhere to be seen. He had abandoned his friend at the very moment that he needed him the most. More than that, he denied ever even knowing him, not once or twice, but three times. Now, in the weeks after all of this has happened, What is Peter supposed to do? He'd not only misunderstood everything the whole time, but he'd also failed. 
failed himself, failed his friend. None of this was supposed to happen like this. So Peter does what he knows. He goes home and he goes back to fishing. Can you imagine? After everything that Peter has seen and everything that he himself has done, he goes back to fishing. This man had stood next to Jesus as he restored sight to the blind. This man tasted the wine that had been water only a few moments ago. He'd walked through Israel side by side with Jesus as he healed and taught. He was on the mountain. He saw Jesus transformed into dazzling white at the transfiguration. And he walked, even if only for a moment, he walked on water. He was even there, close as breath, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. So now, after all of that, the incredible, miraculous, life-changing experiences, the most transformative experience in all of history, Peter goes back to what he was doing before. He goes back to his sad little fishing boat and goes fishing. Can you imagine? I can. Failure is an unavoidable part of the human experience. We all face it in different chapters of our lives and with different consequences. When the stakes are low, failure can be laughed at, wiped off, no big deal. But when the stakes are high, the aftermath of our failure can be all-consuming. We revisit our failures like medical examiners conducting an autopsy, seeking to determine the cause, identifying what we and others should have done differently, replaying the scenario over and over again from different angles, or at least that's what I do. I played basketball in high school, and when I was 16, our team was playing in the championship game of a local tournament. It was a back and forth contest with a close score all four quarters. And with just three seconds left to play, our team was down one point. My best friend, our star point guard, took a shot from near the three-point line, and it just missed, coming down off the backboard to me. I stood in the paint, I had my defender blocked out, and the basket is wide open right in front of me. The ball comes down, and I put the rebound right back up. It's a simple layup I had made a thousand times before. The ball circles the rim and then drops to the ground as the buzzer blared. We lost. In the days and weeks after that, I replayed the entire game in my head over and over, but nothing played more than that last missed shot. Okay, was it the angle? Was it my, my poor follow through? If I could just get one more chance at that basket. Even though the stakes were low, I so distinctly remember the grief that I felt that I would never get another chance at that moment. I've had innumerable failures since that day. Many with consequences a lot more impactful than a lost ball game. But each of them has always reminded me 
of that blaring buzzer in the background. That first time I felt the ache for a do-over and realized that there are just some, there are some moments that you just can't get back. Other times the failures that crush us are not our own, but those of others, our parents, our teachers, our spouses, our friends. People can let us down in devastating ways. But sometimes it's not the individuals around us that fail, but entire systems, institutions. Churches sometimes fail us so deeply and in ways that we feel are impossible to overcome. So, all of that, all of that soul-crushing disappointment, the feelings of loss, the pinings for a chance at a do-over, a chance to make it right, and then the realization that the moment has passed and there is no undoing what has been done. Replaying it over and over again with no way of going back. That's what I imagine Peter felt as he pushed his boat away from shore that night to return to his life as a fisherman. And even in that, he failed. <laughs> He and a few of the disciples who joined him spent the entire night, all night long, fishing and caught nothing. Empty nets. Then, just as the light began to break over the horizon, off in the fuzzy distance, someone appears on the beach. And when they're about a hundred yards from shore, they can see a gentle curl of smoke rising up off the sand. And the stranger calls out, hey, have you caught anything? No. No. The stranger tells them that they should instead try casting their nets out on the other side of the boat, which had to have felt ridiculous or even mocking because it's all the same water after all, right? But they agree to give it a try, and I bet it's only to prove that stranger wrong. So they toss the net off the other side of the boat, and wouldn't you know it, the net swells with more fish than they can even haul in. One of the disciples knew it immediately and shouted out, It's the Lord! It's the Lord! And as soon as he heard it, Peter hauls off the boat and swims to shore, leaving all of his buddies to haul the boat in and all of those fish. When they finally get there, Jesus is sitting beside a charcoal fire, and he has made them breakfast. If you can picture it, picture the waves lapping against the boat gently as the sun slowly rises and chases away the fog. For a moment, I imagine that it must have felt like old times. Friends sitting, eating, laughing together, telling stories. But of course, it wasn't old times because there's a great big shadow sitting over this moment, over this reunion meal. It's Peter's guilt, his fear, his resignation, his disappointment. So after breakfast, Jesus takes Peter on a walk away from the others a little ways. And this is where we find our scripture for today. As they walk along, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter answers, of course. Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
A little further down as they walk, he asks again, Do you love me? And again, Peter replies, Yes, yes, I love you. And Jesus again says, Care for my sheep. Jesus then asks again, and at this point, Peter is crushed. He's heartbroken. He feels that Jesus must be asking him this because he knows he's disappointed in him. He must be asking because he doesn't believe him. He must be asking this again because he failed. Because he has to somehow prove himself worthy of Jesus' love again. And so he says, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. He says it with pain in his voice. And Jesus replies, feed my sheep. What felt like the sting of mistrust here is actually the do-over that he and I, and maybe you, have wanted so badly. See, because on the night that Jesus was crucified, Peter had sat by a charcoal fire and denied three times that he ever even knew him. But here, as dawn breaks, he sits beside a charcoal fire when the risen Jesus gives him the chance to make it right. Three denials by the fire there, and now three chances to say, I love you here. But it's more than a redo, even more than a restoration. It's a remaking, a recreation. The man that Peter was, the man that had failed so badly is gone. And in the hearing of Jesus' commission to feed his sheep, a new man is born. That's the kingdom story that Jesus is always telling us, and the one that we're slowest to believe. Jesus tells us about the last being first, about the poor being favored, the weak made strong, and a lamb that overcomes a brutal empire. The story that Jesus makes of Peter's life is one of an arrogant, burnt-out failure made into a saint. A compassionate leader who faithfully fed those sheep until his last breath. The kingdom story is that unlike you may have been taught, loving Jesus isn't a matter of right belief and an eternal paradise. It's about being called into the mission of feeding his sheep in the here and now. It's not a call to mere moral living and keeping up appearances, but of loving, faithful service to those flesh and blood neighbors that Jesus spent so much time talking about. And as Peter would learn through a lovely encounter with a Gentile man named Cornelius, we have far more neighbors than we would like to acknowledge. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus told the disciples that he had other sheep not of this fold, that he would call to himself. And Peter went on to become the champion of those faraway sheep. Because later, in one of the most contentious moments of the early church, the Jerusalem Council, he stood up and passionately argued for the inclusion of the Gentiles, those sinful, dirty Gentiles like you and me. He argued for their inclusion into the community of faith. If you love me, care for my sheep. Peter did. But I wonder, without his failure, would Peter have become the champion of inclusion that he was? I don't think so. Because it's our failure and even our suffering 
that help us to find solidarity with those who are different from us. When we stand in our places of position and privilege and power without ever experiencing the sting of unbelonging or of defeat, it becomes way too easy to think that people who are out on the margins deserve to be there. Without his restoration, this walk on the beach at dawn, would Peter have become the advocate that he was? No way. Jesus remakes Peter from the pit of his despair, not the mountaintop. So it is with us. When we have come to the end of ourselves, the end of our trust in establishments and institutions, maybe even the end of our faith. If we will let him, Jesus will meet us there. And he will ask if after all of this, all we've been through, all we've lost, all we've let go of, he'll ask, but do you love me? Not a love of mere sentiment or mental agreement with a system of beliefs, but a love that carries us out into the real world. A love that drives us to action. Once our ambition and pretension and self-importance are gone, Jesus calls us into that true work. The only work that has ever mattered. To love and serve the people that he loves. Which, spoiler alert, is everyone those close by and those far away, people who look like us and people who don't, people who love like us and people who don't, people who vote like us and people who don't. All of them are his sheep. All of them belong in his flock. Like Peter learned anew, this is loving Jesus to see others, all others, as they truly are, beloved sheep of our beloved shepherd, and then to join in the work of gathering and loving and serving all of Jesus' beautiful, rowdy, misfit, faraway sheep. Because we know that we're beautiful, rowdy misfits too. Today, Jesus stands on the sand with you and asks, Do you love me? What will you say?